Now maybe you can hear me a bit clearer. Awesome. I could hear me. <laughs> so I'm sorry um, that perhaps you couldn't. So today we are looking at the topic of the persecuted church. And we're going to see what persecution is, uh, some of the realities around it, and how we might respond. But I first want us to keep the reality of hope in Jesus above it all, because this is a, in, an intense kind of topic um, to really dig into it. And I realise we've just got a short time this morning, but I guess spending quite some time in preparation for this, I... I'm very aware of the intensity and the heaviness of this topic and that it can bring some discouragement and maybe some overwhelmment. So I just want to read this from Romans 8, 35 and 37 to remind us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And that is our reality to stand on no matter what we face and no matter what we are discussing and looking at. So we can describe persecution as hostility, ill treatment or oppression over time based on race or political or religious beliefs. We're specifically focusing on the persecution of Christians today, those who follow Jesus and share about that faith with others. So let's start with Jesus himself. He often spoke of persecution, and he certainly experienced it himself, of course, ultimately paying with his life for his message. We know now that that was necessary, it had to happen for us to receive salvation, be uh, connected back to our Heavenly Father. Um, he had to die in our place. But the way that it happened came through persecution. Matthew 2 is a story of one of the very earliest, um, or possibly the earliest experience of persecution that Jesus went through um, while he was still a, a baby. Uh, King Herod, in an attempt to uh, get this new king that had been born um, uh, to kill him. He uh, went on a search for Jesus, wasn't successful, so in, a t in an attempt to rid him of this young king, um, Herod, of course, killed a whole generation of baby boys, all the boys under two in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. What a terrible, terrible situation. And yet Jesus wasn't one of them, obviously, um, and that persecution did not touch him in that instance, but throughout his ministry, that does continue. Uh, Luke 4 talks about um, Jesus' baptism and then his time going into the wilderness uh, for 40 days of fasting and being tormented by Satan with those temptations, a form of persecution that he experienced. And then he went back to the towns nearby and he preached and, and started sharing the message of the kingdom of God that he'd come to make known. But when he got to his hometown of, of Nazareth, it wasn't as you would hope when you're the hometown boy. Um, he was rejected there. 
and not just in words, but physically. He was driven out of town. He was driven to the edge of town by an angry crowd who wanted to push him off the cliff, it says there in Luke 4. On that day, he walked away unharmed, but that attempt on his life was an extreme type of persecution. Jesus brought an uncomfortable perspective on persecution throughout the things that he taught. Instead of promising a life free of it, he actually prepared his followers to experience it. He even went as far as to say that some blessing will come by way of persecution. Jesus taught about persecution in in these three verses, we just catch a glimpse. There are many references. I just have these three right now. John 15, verse 18. In this, if the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. Luke 10, 3. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. This is all alluding to the challenges, the opposition, and ultimately the persecution that many would face. In that last verse, he does go on to say, take courage, for I have overcome the world. But he doesn't pretend that it's going to be without persecution for many. And then in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, we might recognise these words from the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the message version of that actually says it this way. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. That's an interesting way of looking at persecution. It goes on. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. What Jesus valued brought persecution against him. Above all, Jesus valued his father and doing his will. He showed that time and time again, even to the point of going to the cross for us. That was his number one value. He did that knowing it would result in terrible things happening to him because that message was insulting to so many who heard it. It was confronting. It was countercultural. It still is. And so it brought with it a lot of negative responses for him and for his friends and followers, many of whom died because they held on to that value as well. And then he died as a result of persecution. He lived his life and mission knowing that this was the outcome but he also accepted it was necessary to win our freedom. His life indicated strongly how things would go for the early church, which um, began um, at the end of his time on earth. The disciples and apostles came up against incredible persecution within their own Jewish community. It was seen as heresy, what they had to say and what they preached and talked about. They came up against that within the Roman Empire, which they were uh, under the rule of at the time. And they encountered it when they took that message of Jesus to other regions as they were um, commanded to do by Jesus in his great commission. 
if Jesus' followers had not been willing to go and face the persecution, his message would not have reached the ends of the earth. So that persecution is actually a part of our own heritage. What they went through is part of what has eventually allowed that message of the good news to come here to us in our lifetime for us to be free enough to to have the freedom here to hear of the good news of Christ in our remote part of the world. Yes, we are one of the ends of the earth areas that Jesus would have spoken of and everywhere in between. One account in Acts 5 says that the disciples and the apostles um, were arrested by the Jewish religious leaders and those leaders were planning to kill them and yet there was um, one of them who convinced them not to, Gamaliel and I think it's important to mention his name because his words were so inspired by the Holy Spirit. You can read those in Acts 5. And so instead the Jewish leaders had the disciples, Peter, the apostles with him, they had them flogged It's just a a simple word when we read it in Acts 5, but um, obviously quite an an intense form of of violence and persecution. And they were ordered to go and not speak any more about this Jesus and this message that they were constantly talking about. But immediately after this happened, in verse 41 of Acts 5, it says this, "'The apostles left the Sanhedrin.'" Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They kept going in the face of physical injury and the threat of death. They faithfully spread that good news because... They valued it more than avoiding the danger and the suffering that it brought. These kind of stories continue all throughout history. We see it's not just the people who were with him physically in his life that had this kind of commitment to him and what he's asked of his people and the message that he came to share. But that persecution over time has become more um, organised, more structured, more systematic Whole country governments have taken on the cause to rid the communities, their communities, of Christians. Whole empires have come to see it as a worthy goal to permanently stop this faith movement that we call Christianity. The list of recorded eras of persecution um, in history against the church is disturbingly long. And in just the brief look, I guess, that I had um, in the last few weeks... I was amazed at how many I had never heard of. Um, There are some obvious ones, but an incredible amount of stories of generations and whole um, countries and regions who've suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. But today, today, surely we have come so far and that persecution would not be part of the experience of Christians now. It would be wonderful to say that, wouldn't it? But I think we all know that that is not the case. In fact, persecution because of faith in Jesus remains a very present reality in many places. 
The main news groups don't report on it as a rule. But we need to know that it is real and it is happening daily. The top three regions where Christians are persecuted currently are in the Middle East, Asia and Africa. The Middle East being, of course, where Jesus lived and taught and died and rose again. Still today, it is one of the top regions of persecution for Christians. Open Doors is an Australian organisation that exists to serve persecuted Christians worldwide. And um, they release a yearly world watch list of uh, the top 50 uh, countries um, in terms of the worst persecution um, at the top. And we've got the list there. You can see some of the 2021 world watch list. And uh, right at the top there is North Korea, Afghanistan... I can't actually see it, but I think it's Somalia, third year. And um, we also have a map of how that looks, just where that's concentrated. And if you head to opendoors.com.au, you can take in a lot more information than this snapshot. Uh, See for yourself not only where these things are happening, but you can read the stories, some of the stories of the people experiencing it and also what Open Doors is able to do. You can also use this as a way to pray for persecuted Christians, um, very specifically knowing the regions and some of the needs there. Uh, You can also support the work that Open Doors do by heading to that website, and I really encourage you to. I had an opportunity to have a look at that and able to, uh, I guess, understand more about the current situation in some of those places. In the Persecuted Church episode of Jesus the Game Changer, Carl Faze speaks to many people and one of those is a pastor from Nigeria. His name is Hassan John and he's uh, the pastor of a church in Jos that has been burnt to the ground twice and had a third attempt on their church to build it, to burn it uh, but on the third occasion they had actually instead of rebuilding with a building they had placed a tent which is was uh, fireproof and so that tent still stands but they worship in the ashes of or they have at times worshipped in the ashes of the devastation um, of people in their community they've had suicide bombers approach their church gatherings whilst they're gathered in a place just like us. Hassan John himself has been um, wanted dead by the Boko Haram, which you may recognise that name, um, sometimes referred to as the Nigerian Taliban. But he is still leading his church, leading and guiding and shepherding those people, those Christians in his community, and reaching out to others with that story of good news of Jesus. He continues to do that. Carl also speaks to two women who are from Iran, and their names are Mariam and Marzia. Those women tell of being imprisoned in filthy, dangerous, a, a filthy, dangerous prison in Tehran for eight months, all because of the extreme criminal act of distributing Bibles across their city. 
they were interrogated relentlessly during that time to turn over their church leaders and their fellow Christians. Unexpectedly, they were released in a miraculous circumstance, but not before friends of theirs, other Christians, others that they had connected with in that prison were executed. They went through great trauma, great personal loss and devastation. And hearing about the treatment of these people and so many others like them is unsettling. I find it disturbing, but also I find it strangely engaging. And I think many of us do. Because we see that it's possible through them and through their stories to continue doing that very thing that brings the persecution. And that is moving and it's powerful. So, why would they keep doing that? Why would they keep placing themselves in those circumstances, speaking those words that are going to incite danger and threat of loss of their life, loss of their loved ones, their property? Why would they do that? They don't have bodyguards. They don't have compounds to keep dangerous haters out. They do not get danger money, obviously. But it is simply this, that they have grasped the truth spoken by Jesus when he said that the reward in heaven is of infinitely more value than the suffering that they face for his sake. They are following the example of the apostles who were able to rejoice at being worthy of suffering for Jesus. And in doing that, they're allowing persecution to grow their faith. It could have the opposite effect, and I think most people would think that was quite reasonable. That persecution could grow fear or anger or disillusionment or many other negative things in in their lives. But there is a choice which they show us to allow persecution to instead grow faith. All of this highlights something we might not fully want to hear, and that is that any challenge or opposition, or persecution, because of Jesus, brings an unexpected gift to those who go through it. And that is a reliance on Jesus Christ that may never be gained without it. In our country, um, and all across Western society, it would be true to say that we do not experience persecution in this way when we follow Jesus. But so many who do genuinely have a different attitude towards persecution having gone through it than we do having not gone through it. I think that really does show us that persecution has that capacity to grow faith. Mike Gore is the CEO of Open Doors and he tells of a conversation that he had that gives... um, a very different view on this exact thing. So let's hear from Mike sharing about that story now. I remember it was a, a 70 or 80 year old Chinese believer from the underground church. And as our time together drew to an end, I simply said to him, brother, can I pray for you? And he says, yeah, I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. I remember I paused and I said, can you ex- explain that? He says, well, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He says, the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray persecution never leaves China. 
Wow. That's pretty incredible that someone in the midst of that situation of persecution could ask for it to continue because they see the greater purposes of God in that. We don't face persecution like that man that Mike spoke of because of where we are, where we live. Sometimes we face opposition and that varies greatly between circumstances and individuals. We encounter people who test us and challenge us. We encounter things and systems that even limit us in how we can express our beliefs. That's true. But there isn't a systematic mistreatment of all Christians in our country. In truth, we don't actually know what the future is for our country in that area, whether opposition would turn and become persecution. We shouldn't be unprepared for that possibility, given Jesus taught so much about it and Paul and the other writers of the New Testament as well added to that. It's evident in the Bible that persecution follows the gospel wherever it goes on its journey to all people of the earth. And we need to know the truth that there are things worth more than avoiding opposition now and persecution in the future. And in the meantime, why would we give our attention to persecution if it's not really, if I'm not experiencing it, you're not experiencing it in the way that we've been hearing about? 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 onwards, says that all believers are part of the body of Christ. We know that to be true. We're united in his spirit and connected to him as our head. So like a physical body responds to one part being in pain the spiritual body that we're part of should also respond when many are being persecuted it isn't possible for us to carry on as if nothing has happened if we are extremely injured in one part of our body the rest of our body parts even though they might be functioning perfectly well will focus in on that injured part of the body to support it and even compensate for it So when our extended body of Christ is persecuted, it should matter to us. It should draw our focus and cause us to ask for help from the healer, from God himself. It should compel us to change our priorities because of what our spiritual brothers and sisters go through. Going to hear from one of the ladies I mentioned earlier, um, Marzia from Iran as she shares some thoughts on this very topic. So you're out of jail, but you felt like you were still in in prison. But Marzia, what was it like walking out of jail? Um, It's, I I can say it was mixed feeling because um, on one hand, we were so happy that uh, finally we get the victory. God gave us the victory and we could be free. But uh, on, on the other hand, we were not happy because we had many friends uh, inside prison and we had to leave them behind. And Maria mentioned one of our best friends, Shirin Alakuli, she was a Kurdish and after we got released, a few months after we got released, she got uh, executed. That that experience uh, was very painful for both of us. And that's why, you know, Yeah, 
it, it's, it's very difficult to uh, leave your friends behind and just enjoy your freedom. That's why um, we both believe that after we got released, um, we are not the same people. We can enjoy just our freedom and forget about those who are still in prison. Oh, I feel like I should not watch that when I'm trying to speak. Beautiful Marzia. Um, she's so quietly spoken, isn't she, and very emotional, but some of the key words there. It is very difficult to leave your friends behind and just enjoy your freedom. That's why we both believe that after we got released, we are not the same people. We can't enjoy our freedom and just forget about those who are still in prison. Marzia is right, but she's lived through it. So, of course, she would feel it so deeply. How much we empathise and respond to this kind of thing? Well, that's actually for you to consider and for God to lead and guide you in as you seek him about it. And our challenge in the safety and freedom of our world and our home is that we live with a created illusion of control because how we live our lives and what happens to us and how we're treated by others feels like we're somehow in control because most of the time we aren't in extreme opposition and challenge challenging situations unless we go out and almost seek it because we're not under this constant threat for our beliefs, our faith is actually at risk of something else, perhaps something much worse. It's at risk of becoming an aspect or a compartment of our lives, a very important one, but a part of it instead of being our lifeline. We risk seeing Jesus himself as a benefit in our lives and an important part of our lives rather than being our very reason for living. And it's such a fine distinction when we just talk about it in theory. We just focus on those words that faith and Jesus are very important to us, a big part of our lives. And yet when we live that out, it goes off in a very different direction from the way we live when we recognise and we acknowledge and we live out the truth of Jesus and the faith we have in him being our lifeline and our very reason for living. The challenge for us in the absence of persecution is to place our future in his hands no matter what. That is the challenge. It's the same whether we face persecution daily or never. A relationship with Jesus doesn't guarantee safety or easy circumstances or control. We shouldn't waste our energies trying to gain these things. They are a waste of our time. We should build faith instead. According to Richard Rohr, faith has an opposite action and it's not doubt as we probably would think, it is control. Control is the opposite of faith. And control, as I mentioned, is an illusion simply because 
of our circumstances currently. Because life is unpredictable. It can change any time. We kind of, we have a better idea of that now, don't we? But it's easy to go back to how we've always lived. Our safe, safe, secure, non-persecuted way of life as Christians. So handing control over to Jesus and choosing to trust him instead is where we gain the kind of strength and resoluteness that would allow us to face whatever comes for his sake. But we need to ask God, what is he doing in the midst of persecution? Because it's easy to see the good in the easy situations, isn't it? When things go well. But what he's doing in the midst of persecution is incredibly powerful. There are amazing things that we cannot comprehend unless we're looking into the midst of persecution. Because asking God what he's doing there is the kind of question that continues to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And that feels like it's where I should wrap up, but I just want to say on as a postscript to that, that this is not a neat, tidy type of topic. We, we all know that. Um, and so just to wrap it up with a neat statement doesn't feel right because I think we need to wrestle with this. I think we need to go to God and wrestle with the realities of persecution of people who share the same faith as us, the thing that we live out every day, others die for every day. And so I'm going to leave it right here, quite open-ended, with that challenge to each one of us of wrestling with it in whatever way you need to with God. Thanks for listening.